You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Renew. This series invites people to experience God's renewal of their heart, mind, strength, and actions. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're new with us, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Renew, and what this is about um, this, this, is about, this is a series about how we, from time to time, we need renewal. I'll use the word revival. And revival just means going back to the way things should be. And if the truth be told, it's, we don't just need a revival. Our city needs one. Our, you know, our nation needs one. But you, I can't do anything to make a revival happen in our nation. I can't do anything to make that happen uh, in our city. I can't even do anything to make that happen in this church. But what I can do is I can do something to make that happen in me. And, and that's what I, where I want us to be. Is like I want us all collectively um, as individuals to come to that place. That, hey, there, I need a renewing. I need a revival. And that is what this series is about. Getting to that place to where our walk with Jesus, our life with Jesus is alive and pumping the way it's meant to be. And uh, many of you, um, you know, we, we've had those moments, you know, where we've become Christians. In fact, uh, we use the word conversion story, born again, whatever you want to call it. Uh, in fact, some of you came up to me last week and were like, hey, you know, I'm going to tell you my story. And you, it was awesome just hearing all these great stories about how you were once this way and now you're this way. And the amazing things that God has uh, done in your life, some of them very uh, radical. Uh, but as awesome as it is, as conversion is, that's just the beginning of our life with him. That's not the beginning. So, so we talked a little bit last week about how Paul said in Romans 6, 4, he says, to walk, therefore, in this newness of life, that our, that our life with Jesus is meant to be characterized as moving from one degree of glory to the next. But if you and I are honest, we don't, we don't always feel that. We don't, we don't always um, think that that's what our life is. Like, we're just experiencing newness all the time, and just one degree of glory to the next, and we're more than conquerors. And we're like, nah, that's not really where I'm at. And so... Uh, now, so we want to come back to that place where we can have a renewing, and that's what the series is. Now, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you don't need a renew, you just need a new. You just need that moment where uh, you come to Jesus, and, and, and I just want you to know this is a great series to be at. I mean, maybe you're thinking like, man, this guy's already quoted like five verses, and I'm already lost. And I'm telling you, this is a good series to be about because you can hear what Christianity is is meant to be like from the Bible, not some guy from on TV, not the crazy guy at work, but you can hear what Christianity is meant to be from the scriptures. And so last week we talked about how God wants to renew our hearts. He wants to do a renewal work in our hearts. That God has uh, his initial work is that He touches our heart to give us both the will. In the way to do what he asks us to do. That he touches our heart and he changes our desires. Before Christ, we were enslaved. We had this yoke of slavery, the Bible calls it. And that is that, um, that we are, our desires led us all to these destructive behaviors. And, all these, and we came to this place like, I don't, I don't want that anymore. God comes in. He changes our desires to cause us to want to do what he would have us to do. So when you are born again, or you know, the Bible says you become a new creation... Uh, that is that renewal work in you. God does an inside work in you where he changes your desires. And right there is the freedom that everybody in the world wants. The, f- the way that you get freedom is when God comes in and changes your heart. Let me explain that. Freedom, in its simplest definition, is you and I doing whatever we want to do. Can we agree on that? Does that sound right? Is that fair? We, freedom is being able to do 
whatever it is that we want to do. That's freedom. We, I want to do something. I should be able to do it. I want to be free to do that. That's free. Freedom is doing whatever it is that you want to do. Now, the more responsible people in the room are like, well, there's a problem with that. Because if, if we did everything that we want to do, that wouldn't lead to freedom. It would lead to bondage. So if I, you know, if I, um, if I, you know, if I, if I bought that TV, if I, if I uh, bought that house, if I bought that car, if I just bought everything that I wanted to buy, I, I'd be in debt, and that'd be another kind of a prison. Or if I just ate everything I wanted to eat, you know, I, you know, eat, if I just ate chocolate all the time, you know, I'd get some disease that, I, you know, just all kinds of issues would happen in my life, and. If I just did what I want to do, that, that would bring about another kind of prison. Someone cuts me off, I cut them off. And I go to a, a real prison. I mean, a real thing. So, so actually, if I just did whatever it is that I wanted to do, that doesn't bring me freedom. That actually restricts my freedom. So let me, let me, let me add to my definition. So freedom is is when you do whatever it is that you want to do if what you want to do is what you want to do. Freedom is doing whatever it is that you want to do if what you want to do is what you ought to do. Um, you see, because a lot of times, because people get confused about what Christianity is, people think Christianity is just some you know, behavior modification. So I want to do these kinds of things because when you put laws on something, it, it restricts my freedom. So if you say that I can't drive, I want to drive 55 miles an hour, but, you know, the speed limit says 35, that restricts what I want to do. That's not freedom. You say I can't do this, I can't do this, I, I can't take this on the airplane, that restricts my freedom. I can't, you know, whatever, whatever you want to go, we can go on and on about this, but that, you know, putting laws restricts our freedom. And so we come into Christianity and we think the same thing, that what Christianity is, is I want to do these things, but the Bible tells me I have to do these things. So these, I, what I have to do to become a Christian, I have to modify my behavior to fit into this mold when really I kind of want to do these things over here. And so we think that that's what it is about. We have these desires, but yet... To do what we ought to do, we have to kind of put these laws. And, and we, I think we'd all agree sometimes these laws are good. I mean, society thinks, you know, laws are a good idea to keep us from doing some uh, different stuff. But the freest people in the world, this is true, the freest people in the world are people who want to do, who do whatever they want, when whatever they want is what they ought to do. I'll say it this way. When I was a kid, you probably had this experience too. Like, you know, your mom puts like a, you know, you eat every. You know, you eat the good stuff on the plate, and then you have the broccoli, <laughs> right? And I, I, I remember just you know as a young kid, just thinking like, why does broccoli have to taste like broccoli? Why can't broccoli taste like chocolate? You know what I mean? Like why, why is it that the best things for you taste the worst, and the worst things for you taste the best? Why can't broccoli taste like chocolate? Let me give you like the simplest way I can explain what God does in your life. What God wants to do in your life is he wants to make broccoli taste like chocolate. He wants to align your desires up. He, he wants to make you do what he wants. He wants to change your desires to what you want to do is what you ought to do. Or what you ought to do is your favorite. That's what I want to do is what I ought to do. And so, so, so Psalm, this is not on the screen yet, but Psalm 48 says, I delight to do your will. David says, I delight to do your will. 
Why does he delight to do your will? Well, he finishes, because your law is on my heart. You see, when the prophets of old, Moses and a lot of others, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they, when they prophesied about what would happen to people like us in, in receiving Jesus, they were trying to give language for what our lives would be like. And, he, and they said that, they, that God was going to write his law on our hearts. Well, what does that mean? It means that he makes broccoli taste like chocolate. It means that what... He ch- fundamentally changes your life because there's the problem. We'd all agree that, you know, freedom is, freedom is being able to do whatever I want. But the problem with that is that whatever you want isn't necessarily, it brings bondage to you. It brings bondage to other people. It's not a good thing. So you can do one of two things. You can change what you ought or you can change your desires. So we, we spend a lot of time in our society changing what we ought. In fact, many people get behind that. So you'll get commercials that say, hey, uh, you deserve this. You should have this. What you really want is what you ought to have. And there's all kinds of things. We, we want to change what we ought to have. And we try to contort, contort it to build around our desires because deep within us is this desire for freedom. We want to be free. God created us with the desire to do what we want to do. The problem is the fall happens and what we want to do is totally bogus. It's totally not what's right for us. It's totally what's not what's good for us. And so you can spend the rest of your life contorting and trying to change what you ought to do to fit what you want to do. When Jesus comes along, God comes along and says, here's what, I got a better solution. I'm going to change your desires to make you want to do what to ought to do. So every day you wake up and the things that please God actually please you. So let me check, check this out in Psalm 37. It says this, it says, delight in the Lord. And I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, many people take this verse and mess it up big time. There are pastors, preachers who'll say, hey, here's the deal. If you follow Jesus, he's going to give you diamonds and boats and houses and all kinds of good things. Whatever it is that you desire in your heart. Missing the, what salvation is all about. What God is really saying there is that if you delight in me, that is if you make me your number one. You surrender your life to me. I will give you the desires of your heart. You want to know why? Because the desires of your heart are my desires. What, what God wants us to do is not broken. His law is not broken. It's right. It's good. It's perfect. We are the one. Our desires are what is broken. Here's the great news about salvation. He wants to change those desires. Now, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, okay, you may not be there this morning. Like, you know, I am a Christian. I've, I've, I've had this conversion experience, but my heart still wants to do other things. Hey, that's what the series is about. We can say what David said in Psalm 51 when he says, create in me a clean spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. You don't ha- God does not want you to live in this world where you re- when you want to do these things, but, you know, you really shouldn't. So you just kind of like put these rules on you. Okay, I won't do these things. I won't say those words anymore. I won't, um, I won't go there anymore. I won't look at that anymore. That's not God's hope for you. God's hope for you isn't that you just live in this prison where he puts, you know, these laws on top of you, but he doesn't, you know, you still want to do these other things. That's not his plan. His plan is to make you want to do those things and bring you into a place of ultimate, ultimate freedom. So if you're not there this morning, you're like, man, I want things I shouldn't really want. It's not like, okay, be type A and just do it anyway. 
No, he's saying, look, I want to come in and change those desires to bring you freedom. You are enslaved to your desires. You are enslaved to do the things that are going to bring destruction in your life. My salvation work is I give you a new heart. And, and some of us may need a, a renewed heart. So, so that happens, but, when, then, 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 and then, but the problem is, is our heart be made new, but our mind is still messed up as well as our body. But we can't do anything about the body in this life. It's just, it's just going downhill fast. Uh, the older you get, the worse it gets, and it doesn't get better. It just gets worse. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. So salvation, is, there's, a, there's a past, there's a present, there's a future aspect to our salvation. There's a past and a present and a future aspect to our renewing. God has renewed your heart. He has removed your heart of stone, and he has given you a heart of flesh. If you are a Christian, that is in your past. What's, that's the renewing work in your past. The renewing work in your present is your mind. When you become a Christian, your mind does not change, but it is being changed. It is being renewed. Your body, sorry, it's not till the end of eternity that it becomes renewed. So you have been renewed, you are being renewed, and one day your body will be renewed. That is what God's doing in your life. And so Paul says to the Corinthians that our outer self is wasting away. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, right? It's wasting away. It's getting older, labbier, more wrinkled. Hurts more often for, you know, like getting a cup of coffee. Our stuff is, but he's renewing us day by day. Because our mind needs to be different. It needs to be renewed. In fact, the word here that it wants to do, it wants to be transformed. And that word transformed is where, is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. He's wanting to make us something completely different. In fact, there's only two other times that this word transformed is used in the Bible. Paul uses it. Paul uses it one other time. I'll get to that at the end of the message. But the other time is in, in the Gospels. I only used one time in the Gospels by Jesus. It's in Matthew 17 too. Let me um, read this to you. It says, and he was transfigured. That word transfigured is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12, transformed. He was transformed or transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus was showing, hey, this is externally what's going to happen to you one day. But it's happening in you right now, internally and spiritually. So the way that Jesus transformed into this, uh, this you know, face shone like the sun, clothes became white as light, this transformation externally is the kind of transformation that he wants to do in your mind. And, and so the, the question you have to ask, well, what's wrong with our minds? What's wrong with our minds? Well... There are a lot of people who think what's wrong with our minds, it just doesn't have the right knowledge, it didn't have the right information. So the great, um, the great instrument for social and personal redemption becomes education. Education becomes the, uh, the, the thing that we really, really need. Because what's wrong with the mind, it just doesn't have the right information. If it just had the right information, if it just got enough knowledge, if it knew what it needed to know, then everything would be... The only problem with that is some of the most devious people in our planet now and forever have been some of the most educated. Um, ter- planning terrorist plots, um, s- scamming the elderly. Hitler. Just You go on through the list, just tons of people, very bright, very educated. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying education is bad. Education is just like a lot of things in this world. It's morally neutral. It can accelerate good things and it can accelerate bad things. 
but it's not the answer. See, the problem with our minds, is just, it's just not that it's finite, but it's fallen. The, the problem with our minds is just, it's, see, see, your mind is just not some sophisticated computer trying to analyze all kinds of data. It, it, has, a, it, has, a, it has a bent to it. It has, a, it has an attitude. I'll say this, it has a mindset. So your mind, you just don't have a view, you have a view point. You don't just uh, perceive things, you have a posture. You don't, your mind just doesn't detect information. It has a demeanor, it has an attitude, it has a bent. So the problem with our minds isn't that it doesn't have the right information. It, it, it has a mindset, it has, it has a way of thinking that needs to be altered. My mind has a spirit, a bent, a mindset that is hostile to the way God thinks. Paul says it's got to be transformed. It's got to, it's some, something, it's got to see things differently. And I'll give you two reasons why that's here uh, in the verses we read. Number one is because we need to present our bodies as uh, living sacrifices for worship. So, Paul writes Romans, so when you read, by the way, the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament, a lot of these are letters, they're called epistles, it just means letters, and Romans is, is, a, is a letter that was written to the Christians in Rome, and uh, so the first 11 chapters, it's just Paul at his finest, I think. I mean, he's just thundering away at what the gospel is, and in the first two chapters, he talks about why we are all anti-God, and he explains why we're all anti-God. And then in chapter 3, he says, here are the wages or the result of being anti-God. Spoiler alert, it's not good. And then, but then he goes on and begins to explain like, hey, just, you know, but God just at the right time, Christ at the right time died for the ungodly. That he, you know, he, you know, he, while we were still sinners, he died for us and he paid the price. He stepped in our place and we've died with him and we've risen with him. And then he says like, and now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we're totally his and we have its ultimate freedom. And so then Paul says in verse, in chapter 12, he says, in light of everything that I've written in the first 12 chapters, in light of everything that Jesus is and who he is and, and what he's done for us, in light of all this, present or Offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable worship. This is the logical thing to do. Every day that we wake up, he's saying, don't set out to do things that build your own kingdom, but rather take what you have built to yourself, your possessions, your dreams, your hopes, um, your ambitions, your gifts, your talent, your time. Take all of them and lay them on the altar as an act of worship. And now your heart that's been made new, if you're a Christian, your heart has been, leaps at that. Your heart wants to do that. There's something in, inside of you that wasn't inside of you before, but now there's something inside of you that wants to do that, that wants to serve, that wants to give, that wants to lay their life out, that sees who Jesus is and says, yes, that's what I want to do. But your mind says, ah, that's not such a good idea. Why does your mind do that? Because your mind, as Paul says, is... is until a renewing happens, is conformed to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? I'll, I'll say this. It's me first. The pattern of this world is me first. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this. So our generosity, our tolerance, goes as far as you not doing anything to diminish me. My generosity, my tolerance of you, 
is limited as long as you don't diminish me. My finances, my health, my schedule, my self-esteem, my mantra is me first. Jesus comes on the scene, lays down his rights, gives everything he has, including his life, and he shows up and gives us the example of the very opposite of me first. And so Paul comes in and says, like, your mind is the problem. Your, mind, your heart has been made new, but your mind still thinks according to the pattern of this world. Because the pattern of Jesus is not me first. So our minds don't just need gospel information, gospel information, gospel information. They need gospel transformation. You come here every week and you get, in, you get, you get gospel information. That's what I ought to do, but it ain't what I want to do. And you come out just confused and frustrated and I can't do this. Church doesn't work for me and blah, 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 blah. But look, the reason why is because your mind needs to be different. It needs not just information. I mean, you get, we got information galore. I mean, you, there's Bibles everywhere. There's Bibles for teens and Bibles for six-year-olds and Bibles for, you know... I mean, you can get a, just probably a Bible just for Brian Mowry somewhere for sale. I don't know. It's probably made just for me. There's umpteen amounts of information. I can get any kind of devotional I want. I can get any kinds of information. It's all out there. It's out there in spades. But it won't do you any good. That information will not do you any good unless you experience what the Bible says is a transformation. And then he adds to discern what the will of the Lord is. So the reason why you need a renewed mind is because when, when, when Paul comes out and says, hey, you know what you think you should, you know what you should do? You know what really makes a lot of sense? That you lay your life out as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, as a living killing is really the translation says. Dreams, kill them. Money, kill it. Time, kill it. Everything about you, strip it away. Why are we like, uh-uh? Because our mind is conformed to the pattern. That's what it needs to be transformed. To discern what the will of the Lord is. Now, this, this term, will of the Lord, gets thrown out all over the place. So I, I want to chat about that for a second. There's three aspects to which the Bible talks about the will of the Lord. The first aspect is the sovereign will of the Lord. God wants her to be light. Guess what? There's light. God wants her to be sea. There's sea. God wants her to be a porcupine. There's a porcupine. And he just, whatever, he created the world and there it is. He, it's his sovereign will. Now, we've done messages on the sovereignty of God, and, it's, and it's, it's this big kind of how do you get your mind around this. There's just two things that I think you really need to know about the sovereignty of God. Number one is that this is how the story ends. The story ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord, and it's better that you do that now than later. That's one thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know, that God is making all things new. At the end of time, he's going to wipe every tear. He's going to get rid of all death, disease. So you look at the world like, hey, how can God do this when there's so much pain and suffering? How can this happen? How can this happen? How can this happen? He's saying, you know, there's going to be the, we're all, this is my sovereign will and it will happen. All that's going to go away. It's going to be replaced with a new heaven, a new earth. And there's going to be no death, no disease, no tears. He is... That is his, that will happen. So you have his sovereign will of God that you and I have, can't do anything about. And then there, you, you read about his, like, his moral will. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want anyone to kill anyone. He doesn't want anyone to lie or to cheat or to commit adultery or to, he, he doesn't want that to happen. But that happens, right? He doesn't want murder to happen, but murder happens. 
He doesn't want people to steal from each other, but people steal from each other. He doesn't want people to do... So, so he has this will that's not sovereign in the sense that it just happens. It sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't happen. And so that's another aspect of his will. A third aspect of his will is kind of like this, um, this path of wisdom that God has for our life. And there are just thousands of choices that we have to make all the time that just aren't in the Bible. You're not going to read in the Bible. The Bible's not going to tell you who to marry. The Bible's not going to tell you what car to buy. The Bible doesn't tell you whether you should rent a house or buy a house, what job to take, what brand of orange juice to drink. It just doesn't, it's just not in there. It's just, it's not in the, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. It doesn't tell you how much money to spend on clothes. The Bible doesn't answer those questions, but here's what he's saying about how, why our minds need to be transformed. That if you, if you sit, if you read this and sit with it, meditate on it, and you sit under it, not over it, but you sit under it, if you sit under this, your mind is going to be transformed. It's going to be renewed to be able to discern those kinds of decisions. And let me just give you a couple examples of that. When I counsel people in their decision-making, this is something I've heard hundreds of times over the last um, 11 years as a pastor. This, it'll come something like this. Brian, I just want to do what's best for me and my family. Brian, I just want to do what's best for me and my family. It seems like a fine thing to want. Or I'll hear something like this. Brian, I just want to do what's best for my future. I just want to do what's best for my future. So the mindset is, I want to do what's best for my future. The mindset is, I want, I want to do what's best for me and my family. And I just want to say, with all the love of my heart, there's none of that in the Bible. That is a thought. That is a mindset that is conformed to the pattern of the way the world thinks. The Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that says, as the primary matrix for making a decision is just do what's best for you and your family. Never says that. Never says the primary matrix for making a decision is just do what you think is best for your future. Never says that. And maybe many of you have been living under that. And like... You know, Proverbs uses, you know, as a dog returns to his vomit, keeps making that decision over and over and over and over, getting the same rut, same rut, same rut. Why, 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 why? I'm getting new information. I'm trying to make decisions. Well, the problem is the information. The problem is there needs to be a transformation in how you think. Now, here's what the Bible does say. The Bible does say if you read this, meditate on it, and have it transform how you think, it says here's how you make decisions is you seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added unto you. That, so it says, you know, you know, don't seek what you'll wear. Don't seek where you'll live. Don't seek what you'll eat. The Gentiles are those who don't know they have a Father in heaven who loves them. They seek them. You seek them not. You seek first the kingdom. And all these other things that you want, and, I, and your Father knows you need, like what's best for my family, like my future He'll take care of it. Let me give you, let me give you an analogy. So I went skiing um, a week ago. I told you that last week, so I guess it's two weeks now. And uh, I, in the mountain, it's like really cold. I don't know if you, higher you go, the colder it gets. And um, it was freezing. My hands are freezing. And I had some really nice gloves. I'm like, hey, I think I need new gloves. I need thicker gloves or another pair of gloves because my hands are cold. And he's like, well, if you want to warm up your hands, you don't, warm up, you don't try to make your hands warmer. I'm like, what? 
You don't, he's like, no, 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 that's not how your body works. He's like, if you want, the reason why your hands are cold is because, and your, or your feet are cold or your extremities are cold is because your core is cold. And the way your body works is that this is where all your heart and your organs and all that kind of stuff are. And when your core gets cold, it stops sending blood out to your extremities to keep you alive. It's a good plan. And uh, he said, actually, if you try to keep your hands warm, but you don't get your core warm, what's going to happen is your core is going to get to, you, you'll die, and then you, your body will be really, all your body will be really cold. It'll be dead. Okay, I'm getting it. So, so the way that I get my, so, so the way that you get your extremities warm is you get your core warm. And so he's just like having these little exercises. Warmed up my core, and he was right. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Because our minds are small, and they are finite, and they don't lack information, but they lack the kind of transformation needed to think the way that God thinks. And so God says, look, look, I'm not saying don't do what's best for your, like, I'm not saying I don't want what's best for your family. I'm not saying I don't want what's best for your future. But here's what I do know. If you go and try to warm the extremities of you, if you go and try to, to make first what really should be second on your to-do list, you'll end up, if, if you try to go for your hands, you'll end up making your core cold and you'll end up ruining your whole body. So if you go for, if you, if you make your priority to do what's best for you and your family, but you ignore the kingdom, that's going to destroy your family, that's going to destroy your future. So God says, hey, look, hey, I'm a good God. I, I, I know you, love you, and seek me first and all these things that I know are, are going to happen. So the way to have the best future is to seek the kingdom first. The way to do what's best for you and your family is to seek the kingdom first. We need our minds transformed to think that way because we don't automatically think that way. And Paul's saying, look, you need this transformation to happen to you. Now, if that wasn't convincing enough, the, the problem with the dis- making decisions is 95% of the decisions we make are spontaneous and instinctive, and we do not have time to process anything. So like when you're leaving today and you're getting ready to you know, open the door, you're like, should I use my left hand or my right hand? Well, we, the Bible says something about in your right hand is strength, so okay, I'll use my right hand. So that's not how we make decisions. You can't make your decisions like that. Before you go to bed tonight, you will make hundreds of little decisions about what you'll do, you know, about who you'll talk to, who you won't talk, what you'll say, your demeanor and how you say it, your attitude and how you say it, the emotions you feel, the actions you have, the thoughts that you have, all that kind of stuff. You will, you will make hundreds of little decisions that you won't even realize that you're making. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says that out of the heart, out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you and I will be judged for every word, every thought, every action. How do you know all of that's going to be God's will? You need your mind renewed. You need your mind to be programmed to process your world from a completely different matrix. You, you don't have time, even if it was about, you don't have time to get all the right information to make the best decisions and everything. 95% of your life, you can't live that way. That's why we need our minds renewed. Okay, so how do we get our minds renewed? How do we get our minds renewed? Well, 
in 2 Corinthians, Paul, there's one other, I told you earlier, there's one other place where Paul uses the word transformed, and it's in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. Let me, let me take you there. Paul says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's that word, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So what Paul's saying, here's how we have our minds transformed, is we think about and we meditate on the glory of God. And that comes from mainly through reading the scriptures and, and reading who he is, beholding it, meditating it, and having it influence you. Let me show you, tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, John writes this in his letter, and I think I've already quoted this already, but he says, when, on that day, we will see him, Jesus, not in part, not just through what the Bible says, not just through what we hear the Spirit saying, but one day we will physically and manifestly see him. One day we will see him, and it says in the, twi- in the twinkling of an eye, we will be like him. We will see him, and we will be like him. The power of his presence, the power of his glory is so magnificent that it, ha- it changes us. The glory of God changes us. It, it's powerful. It's, it's, um, so we see him, we'll become like him in an instant. So the key for you and I being transformed in that life to be completely as holy ones, but right now we're not totally saved. We're not totally complete. We're, we're a work in progress. Right now we are being saved. So the key to this transformation for our minds to be renewed is to think and to meditate and to fix our eyes on the glory of God. And a lot of that comes through reading the Bible. Re- not just kind of reading it because you have to, but reading it because you want to soak it in, because you want to take it in, because you want, you want, you want your thought, you want God's thoughts to be like yours. You want to shape everything that you are. You want to shape your marriage. You don't, want to, you, don't want to, you don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world that seeks to make everything fair and 50-50. But you, you want to, as a husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church who gave up everything for her, who loved her unconditionally and sacrificially, even though whether or not we loved him, he just loved us. He died for you well, well before you said, Jesus, I want to follow you. He loved us unconditionally. I want, I, want, I want to get a glimpse of who he is and how he treats us. And I want that to inform how I treat my wife. How I, I want to inform how I view my finances. I want to infor- if I'm single, I want to inform and I want to shape how I view singleness. I want to shape I want to v- how I handle my schedule, how I handle my time, how I handle everything through beholding the glory of God. And then it says, can we have that back up here? It says, for this comes from the Spirit. So what I mean by that is that this isn't some, you can't, you can't transform your mind. You have a part to play, but you, you behold God's glory, and what happens is the transformation comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in you, taking this, this beholding, he's making you new. He's, he's transforming um, that work in you. In fact, that word renewal... It's interesting, this passage, Paul uses a lot of very um, original language. And that word renewal that he uses in, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, uh, he only, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. In fact, it's only used one other time in the entire Greek Bible. 
that word renewal in its Titus 3.5. And I'll just read it. It's not on the screen. I'll read it for you. He says, he saved us, that is Jesus, not because of works done in us by right, that are righteousness, so we've not saved by our own works, but according to his own mercy. So he loved us just because he loves us, not because we deserved it. It's all saying. By the washing of regeneration. And regeneration is that work he does in our hearts. He take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. That's regeneration. And the renewal of the spirit. He has saved us and he is saving us by the renewing of our minds, by us beholding the glory of God, mainly through scripture and praying daily, Holy Spirit, will you renew me? And he absolutely will. He wants to. He wants to. He's trying to work out situations in your life to get you to that place where you realize you need that. You need that heart renewal and more important, you need mind renewal. He wants it. How do you get it? It's by fixing your eyes on the glory of God.